It's episode 35 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are both Ryan Top and J.P. Breen. We have the gang back together, right? Yeah, I feel like uh, this is very, very big for you, right? This is big for me? For you to, to be back, so you're not like w- sitting outside of the, the circle yes. and like... <laughs> well, you guys, you guys got all the fun stuff to talk about. Yes. Basically, and then the rest of the opening week happened. Yes, and, and then, it got yeah. a lot less fun. Yep. Right, JP. I don't know how many games did you watch this week. Many, all of them. This week, yeah, two. Yeah, kind of in, in and out. Yeah, yeah, anyway. that's the way it goes. No, I understand. I'm not. I'm not hating on that at all. So there's there's plenty to go. So uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash Tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. And how'd that go this week? I think it went pretty good. I said um a lot. Sorry about that. You did when when you edit it, that's when you hear that kind of stuff. But it was a long one. Yeah, we went an hour and twenty minutes. So we took everybody's question. I think we hit every single one except for one, which uh wasn't fit for consumption so that stayed out <laughs> where'd that come from well that was you mm. and i didn't even see it before i started the podcast no so. I, I i tried to slip that one in but you guys were already uh we were already going in. at that point so, uh milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by carbon four brewing from dragon flute to block party to fantasy factory I, fantasy factory ipa fantasy factory ipa yeah that's what it is you're saying that like you've had a few <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're watching this Cub series, uh, yeah, you're going to have a couple. So um, anyways, K4 specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Out now is Martian Sunrise, a mosaic single hop carrier wave broadcast straight to the heart of the multi-gravity well. What? <laughs> I copied this from you. Yep. And you copied it from the website, right? Mm-hmm. And I tripped over it too. It's definitely a thing that is meant to be read and not spoken so there are oats caramel and roasted crystal rye have you did you have it i have not had it yet we've not, i'm really we looking forward a chance to, to get it yeah. yet uh the result is a beautifully dissonant harmony delivering the payload on time and in budget which is space stuff yes yes so, that's the joke steve that's the joke uh grab your growler and head over to the carbon four tap room on kinsman boulevard on madison's east side or check out carbon4.com carbon four beer brilliance Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and MixPre-6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, as I was referencing earlier, we finished the uh, first week plus, since we kind of had the little... There's that weird little, yeah, we had the addendum. The, yeah, we had that good part that happened in March, and then April popped up, and things got a little weird. So uh, the Brewers ended up going one and two versus the Cardinals. The one was a very dramatic and fun win with the back-to-back homers from uh, Yelich and Braun to win it, um, and then one and three versus the Cubs, which 
I think everyone's disappointed in because they definitely had an opportunity at least on Saturday. Yes. To split the series. Yeah. The Sunday game, they were... Thursday was, yeah, flat-out blowout. Thursday was a blowout. They won, and then Saturday, they kind of blew it with the defense, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. That and seems to be a recurring theme that everybody wants to hear about. Friday was a fun, you know, walk-off, last-minute sort of game to be at. Yeah, so, and then Sunday, yeah, they just kind of got, you know, nickeled and dimed till uh, they were down, what, three... Three nothing. It could have been. It could have been worse, but the offense also was not hitting with runners in scoring position the way that you would like to see. So yeah, I mean, JP, you're not going to win when that. JP, happens. did you have any takeaway takeaways from uh, the first uh, division series that they played this year? No, not too much. I mean, it's largely a function of playing division rivals who you're competing with to potentially take the NL central that has caused a lot more attention to be placed on these series than I think would normally be placed on early, early, early season series. So, you know, the, the offensive issues, the defensive issues, um, the frustrations with guys like Elise Chassin with uh, Brent Suter, things like that are just being magnified a little bit more than I think uh, would otherwise be the case just because it is the Cubs and the Cardinals. So uh, we'll talk about it as, as the, the episode goes along, but it's important to remember that we're talking about two weeks uh, of a baseball season. So it's, it's not going to be a situation in which we're going to be able to draw too many conclusions, especially when looking a- around the league and actually seeing what other teams are doing, um, how they're either underperforming or, or vastly overperforming expectations. So we'll, we'll talk about those, but as a whole, I can't necessarily see too much other than the Canable injury and, and things like that yeah. are, are bad. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, part of the deal is when you think about it, there was somebody on, who I remember on Twitter, I can't remember who it was now, but they always will break down the season into 10-game chunks because that's the equivalent of a football season, basically. you take And everything has to be put into terms, football terms, otherwise people can't to remember. It. Well, to remember that, like, it's your 1-16th of the way through the Wait, season. Wait, so where are we point. at right now? Are we at halftime in the first game? No, we're after the first. No, game. it is the first game. Okay, that's and the right. first game was that's a, because of that March was a tie March because yeah. like we it was five t- and five. It was five and five. So the first game is a tie, and yeah. <laughs> okay, that's it. We're not going to reference football anymore because <laughs> this is a baseball podcast. Um, so uh, yeah, few weird things happened this week. Obviously, uh, the first major blow was Corey Knebel. Um, I think it. It was a hamstring strain. They yeah, strain is officially which is, what they, they said it was. Okay, and so a strain he, is a minor tear. So he came in in a blowout loss to the Cardinals, mm-hmm. and um, landed weird. I, was it even a weird landing? It was I don't just, know. He landed, and obviously his hamstring just couldn't take it. So it ended up being a strain. He had an MRI, so he didn't like tear anything. I think because, no, no, no. A, a strain is a small tear, but it's. He means, oh, it's not a com- he means it's not a complete tear in which he's going to be out for four months. Right, exactly. And there's no surgery, none yeah. of that. Hey, yeah. you're not you're not Stefania Bell, so just cool <laughs> it over there. Um, we should talk about minor concussions. Yeah, next. exactly. <laughs> the, the point with it being a strain, though, this is not a full tear where he would need surgery. And as JP pointed out, he'd be out for months instead of four to six weeks. Right. Well, 
they said they've been very careful to to lay this one out there and say well minimum of six weeks when you're waiting for they didn't say four to six they said minimum of six weeks well, i'm not the expecting original back before june yeah the original report i saw was four to six weeks okay but yes i think with the hamstring strain any kind of muscle strains just be cautious right there's, because there's, if you start compensating with your mechanics in any way that's when you get or you're just more likely to re-injure that muscle, and then you're basically back where you started with, you know, at the the four to six week timeline. And so. if you're not going to be effective anyway because your mechanics are jacked, like why be back? There's no point anyway. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, when Knabel went on the DL, they recalled Adrian Hauser from Biloxi. So, and Hauser actually got in the game today late against the Cubs. He um, did. Did you get to see much of it, Ryan? No, we were driving here. You were driving I was, here. I was at the I game, think, and I left early. After so, Taylor Williams inning, I saw Williams inning, and then we bounced. So, so. I was the only one watching Hauser today. <laughs> I, well, I caught the last inning when I was here. but Sure. Dude was bringing it. He had some heat. Everything was basically 95 and above. Um, relied primarily on his fastball. So, I mean, it was encouraging. And Brian Anderson pointed out during the ninth inning, he said that, you know, Brewers fans kind of got a glimpse of some pretty good young arms here in Hauser and Williams yeah. over the last few innings. So, uh, JP, it's a positive. What's what's Hauser's repertoire? Because um, he pretty much relied on his fastball today, and I, I know there was a point where, and I'm blanking on who the batter was. He ended up giving a, up a triple um, where he really needed kind of a, a breaking pitch as an out pitch that he didn't unleash. I think he only threw one off speed pitch that entire at bat, and it was like a 12 pitch at bat. So yeah. what else does he throw, I think, as he gets more comfortable that we could look for as maybe being that out pitch that he needs? Yeah, he's got a really good curveball. Um, and he has shown in the past, uh, whether it's the AFL, the Arizona Fall League, or even in the spring, he does have a changeup as well that can be used and be effective, which is why they wanted to bring him out as a tandem starter because they were still going to try to develop him in that, in that way. Um, so he does have the ability to throw uh, a good curveball that misses bats and he can throw it for strikes. So it's, he's got a really exciting repertoire actually. And he's, he's got a good frame. Um, I like Hauser a lot. I, I think he was slept on by a lot of, a lot of people coming into the year. And I think part of today, what happened was, is in that at bat, he got into a full count and then he basically relied on the fastball to get it over as opposed to trying to go to a breaking pitch and having to get it over when ball forward, put a guy on base. Well, and making your big league debut for the first time in better, what, two years? I think they said 15, 2015. Was it 2015 the last time? Yes. Yeah, yes. Would 15 because make... so, then he missed 16 yeah. and last year was his first year back. So for first time in over two seasons um, coming back to the big leagues, I think it's just a situation of trying for comfort. And likely he wasn't the one even calling the pitches um, at that point, right? He, so, he, he shook off a couple. He shook oh. off a couple and went to the the fastball. Well, it, well, then that's just yeah, that's just going to be a, a desire to find comfort on the mon. Then if he doesn't want to necessarily mess with that early, if he's continuously shaking off to get to his fastball, either that or he wanted either that or it was a a confidence thing of trying to say like my fastball is so good that I'm just going to blow it by you. But likely it's a it's a confidence issue then. And like I said, with where he was sitting, it. It wouldn't have been surprising if he could have just blown it by somebody because he made Schwarber look like he couldn't keep up to it. Right. And and Kyle Schwarber's not a guy that I think of like, oh, struggles with fastballs. Right. No, bat speed is not an issue. 
that's not no the, so the yeah i mean definitely he brings heat and i think guys are gonna have trouble keeping up with that uh brandon woodruff was optioned to colorado springs after his start um it looked like it was mainly a function of they burn through a lot of relievers and they just need some help in the bullpen so yeah woodruff went uh three and two-thirds in his uh start against the cardinals cubs cubs um gave up three runs had three strikeouts two walks stuff looked good I didn't think that be, was, yeah. I didn't think that was an issue. Um, it was a t- bit of a tighter zone, so he wasn't getting any help. That was true. I mean, he that was definitely true both ways on Friday night. There were some some issues with that, but ultimately, and I'm not I'm not trying to like say oh he would have been fantastic. No, but I, the Cubs but, are also a lineup that's built to yeah, like I mean, grind pitchers down, and they ground him down. Yeah, what I'm talking about, he wasn't getting any help. It was also against like Chris Bryant, where. Sorry, Bryant A has a great eye, and B, you're just not going to get help against a guy who's you know won an MVP before. Sure, and yeah, I mean he was he was having issues, I somewhat with command in terms of being able to hit the edges consistently. From what I could tell, I was I was up in the 400 level, so I can only say so much. With we saw photos that you had your phone out and you were tracking. I think that was from the night before. And that was from the night before. I assume that's every game. That was that was my brother. JP, yeah. don't you think uh, Ryan Ryan's the guy that sits there and watches the the picks, pitch tracks in every every single game he's sitting there in the stands at? And JP gets mad at me about it. I think he wants to. Normally, what happens is there's a, a call that doesn't necessarily go the Brewers' way, and then gets it out to see if he's justified being upset or not. So, is watching game day like that? Is that the new you know the guy you used to see who had the radio headphones on? <laughs> <laughs> I I believe so. Yes, you're that guy now. So I am um, I am that guy. So when Woodruff got option to Colorado Springs, they uh, recalled JJ Hoover um, again for bullpen help. So right because they just had to get innings, and I mean Woodruff helped contribute to the fact that they needed those bullpen innings, and they were going to need to to work that out. Now the question becomes when, because they don't have an off day here uh, before going to to St. Louis on Monday. What are they going to do for well, yeah, a starter? Woodruff is stuck because he has to be down for ten days, right? Woodruff, unless there's an injury, and they can play that game with. Him. Well, hey JP, is there anybody else in Colorado Springs they could call up? <laughs> you mean Tim Dillard? <laughs> well, no, I'm there. There wasn't an injury in the social media department. I was just gonna say <laughs> they they don't need an announcer or something, right? I mean, that's not somebody to call the game. <laughs> I mean, Junior Guerra is the guy that obviously makes sense who will be called up for Wednesday's game, um, unless there's some kind of injury. But with the amount of stress that will be on the bullpen in general, there's going to be a good opportunity for them to send down a reliever. Well, how much stress will there be on the bullpen? Because here's the other piece of news from today. Kristen Yelich got put on the DL. Um, he's already five days deep, so it's retroactive. Yes. So, but with his, well, ob- I don't mean overworking. Injury. I don't necessarily mean overworking the bullpen as a, as oh, a no, whole. Oh no, no, I, but there are going to be more innings to cover by the bullpen, where then you can actually use somebody a little bit more heavily. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting to that because Yelich goes on the DL. They they bring up uh, Taylor Williams, who also pitched today. Well, yep. The the final game against the Cubs, uh, that gives the Brewers nine relief pitchers in their bullpen at the moment. That's got to be just horrifying for you, Steve. Right? You're just like you see that number and it just makes you cringe, cry you know, a little bit. I don't sit there and count 
relief pitchers. They're, well, yes, they're, you did. They're, they're you did because you just, you just said yeah, yes, there's mine. I, Where I, did I, you get the number from, Steve? From the article I was reading about <laughs> Christine Kelich going on the DL. Because, you know, I figure there's been enough pain this weekend. Let's read about all the injuries as well. You know, I sit there crying and in my coffee in the morning. As <laughs> you just, read your paper? Yes, it's, uh, I, I read the paper. So, um Anyways, yeah, nine relievers now. It, they're all faceless. It doesn't matter. No, they, they shouldn't. Up, they, the guys they, they brought up are really good prospect they relievers. Are. I'm, I'm making, I'm making pictures. I'm making a joke, Ryan. I'm joking about it. Oh, yes, it Taylor Williams looked really good today. Williams looked good. Didn't get help from the defense again. No. That was beautiful. No, and we're getting to that because. Um, d- wait, do we have anything to say about Yelich going on the DL? I mean, at the he's. Moment? Hope, it doesn't sound like the fact that he was. Uh, you know, that they were delaying putting him on the DL means that they were questioning how serious well, it was. He he was making progress. He took batting practice. He stiffened up. Right. So it was one of those where I don't know if he was rushing it or it was just that that attempt to try to get back on schedule is is what put him behind. So they just said, put him on the DL. Get, they were going to need help in the bullpen anyways. Right. They had to get people to cover innings. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's enough said there. Yeah, uh, so let's talk about J- the craptastic defense. Hold on a second, JP. <laughs> Taylor Williams. People are excited about him. Yeah, they should be. I mean, I mean, he's got some electric stuff to watch coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, I think the Brewers, basically, just like every team in Major League Baseball now, just has a bunch of guys who can absolutely bring it with a fastball. Um, but the nice thing about Taylor Williams is that his breaking stuff is is very very good. So he's. The kind of he's the kind of pitching prospect that I think is now much more prized than he would have been maybe ten years ago, where everybody would have said, "Oh, so and so is just a reliever." But in today's game, we now nest, we now understand and you know kind of embrace how effective a relief like a high end reliever can be. And so now people are not just looking at Taylor Williams as somebody who could potentially just be a quality reliever; they want him to be one of those high impact relievers that ca- has changed you know, the face of baseball really over the past two or three years, if you think about it. I mean, is he the kind of guy that's going to, he'll go uh, multiple innings, you know, he'll see more than three batters. Um, like how deep can he go in games? I don't know. It'll be, I I mean, he can go more than one inning in general. The, the biggest question for Taylor Williams is, can he go back to back days? That was something they didn't want to do last year just because he's had a history of injury as well. Um, I think this year they, they've, talked about how they're much more willing to do that uh, yeah they did work on it in spring training he was yeah. making an effort to get out there multiple days in a row in spring training so i was going to ask you jp what do you think as far as between hauser and williams who is more suited for the multiple inning role and who's more suited to maybe pitch a little more often but uh in shorter stints as far as like maybe a late inning closer-ish type guy or eighth inning guy if it comes to that, depending on what else sorts out. Between whom? Oh, between w- the two new guys, between Williams and Hauser. I think that Hauser is a guy that they will want to keep stretched out as much as possible. I think he's a guy who's going to go multiple innings just because I still think that they would like to give Hauser a chance to start. I was going to say, they kind of implied on the broadcast today that Hauser is not going to be up for the long term because they want him to basically get back to a starter. That's, I yeah, think, the he, hope, yeah. 
Yeah, he was being he was uh, scheduled to be paired with Cody Medeiros down in Double A Biloxi to be a tandem starter. So basically, Medeiros would go four or five innings, and then Hauser would would clean up behind him just to manage both of their innings, but allow them to actually continue to build up their arm strength and all of that stuff. But yeah, I think Hauser, if he is up right now, they'll try to keep him going multiple innings in situations that make sense, just because that's best for his long term development. Yeah, and he threw two uh, in this final game against the Cubs. So, yes. yep. Um, okay. So we have our first Patreon question. It's from Ben Oler. Uh, and this before, before oh. we do that, can I, can I address the junior Guerra thing for Wednesday? Okay. Because I actually think there's a shot that, uh, Brent Suter will be the one sent down. Okay. Just because if you look at the brewers, unless somebody gets injured right now, there isn't anybody that makes sense in in the bullpen to be sent down to to AAA, right? I mean, you've got so many guys who just don't have options remaining because Oliver Drake would be one of the guys you'd want to send down. He doesn't have option remaining. Same thing about J.J. Hoover. Like, keep going down the line. They could absolutely, you know, send Taylor Williams back down or something to that to that effect. But they still will need to make sure that they have uh, bullpen arms available. I mean, Adrian Hauser is another guy that they could send down, but uh, Brent Suter will hypothetically pitch, I believe, on on Tuesday, and then they would then be able to bring back Brandon Woodruff the following week, and then they could actually go with rotation through that having uh, okay. Guerra and Woodruff in, in the rotation with Suter staying down until they need somebody. It, it'll just be interesting to see if they make the easy call and just send down Hauser, or send down Williams again, or if they try to optimize their bullpen and actually play like musical starting pitchers. So your point is Guerra could get called up for Wednesday and then he could be in the rotation for at least two starts. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they manage this. I don't think people expected, you know, this kind of shuffling this early in the season or speaking of shuffling the the need for depth in the outfield this early in the season it's funny how that works out right and then now all of a sudden there's only three outfielders on the roster because that's the way it's stacked up at the moment yeah, yeah. but i will say that the question has never been whether or not the brewers could function with the amount of outfielders they've they've had it it would always been a question about whether or not leveraging Santana for a starting pitcher was a better use of resources than maintaining depth for a long term well and right? that was the assumption that they could get a starting pitcher for Santana which right right absolutely and and that just never materialized so well, anyway it's, it's, it is, is worth hold on it, it is, is worth, it's worth noting that this is totally messing up our prop bet on Braun starts at first base Yes, it is. Sure. So that is something to pay attention to. If you, uh, <laughs> if you feel, if you're, if you're, your really, at, if you're at, really, really into the prop bet thing this early in the season, good luck. That's guess, be- yeah, there, there are a few things that are getting weird. Um, the the Knable injury, that, that was another one. Yeah. Yeah. Andy was one of the, Andy who was the creator of it was one of what he said, 5.7% of people who had uh, Knable is not the leading save getter. Yeah. And it was like, oh, well, hmm. They just got a leg up. No, yep. No pun intended. Oh, that's just not nice. Um, okay. Anyway, no, what I was oh. going to say is it is worth noting the Brewers had really gone from opening day until Saturday. They did not have a quality start. And they had a bunch of starts that weren't even close to quality starts, like Woodruff going three and two-thirds on Friday. Like, they weren't even close a bunch of times. 
Saturday and Sunday, they got two back-to-back quality starts for the first time in a while. And I think that that helps take some of the pressure off of the innings crunches that they were looking at. I yeah, mean, that, Davies and Anderson both kind of did things that we expect. They stepped up. Them. Yeah, they stepped up and did and really helped really it out. Stepped up. It was just they pitched. Because they Anderson pitched more like what they're. Six today. I mean, sure. he didn't have like some fantastic start where he ate a ton of innings. It, no. it was a good start, but he gave up two runs. Yeah, two runs in so. six innings. Okay. Anyways, it's a, it'll go forever if we keep on uh, dancing around this stuff. So anyways, Ben Oler is our first Patreon question. Again, go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and you can uh, join our Patreon and then you can get your questions right yes. at the top of the queue like this. And uh, we promise we won't wait this long to get to them from now on, but there's just so much going on right now. So anyways, uh, do we think that the defensive issues so far have been due to personnel and talent or mental miscues? Basically, is this something that can be corrected with the current players? Who wants to take that first? I can. Um, I think it's different in a lot of cases. I think some of it is that I think when you look at like today with the ball going through, did it go through Aguilar's legs? At first base? Somehow it went through, like, his chest. <laughs> it, it defied the laws of physics. It exactly, because dude's broad, so I don't know how, right. how it happened, but he kind of olayed it. It looked like it went right through his body from the 400s. So, um, But, you know, a hard-hit ball at, at Jesus Aguilar, that stuff's going to kind of get by. Like, you can kind of expect that to be part of his profile. He's not a great defender over there. Or yesterday, I think on you're kind of giving people an out, but yeah. Well, on Saturday, when you saw, you know, uh, Orlando Arcia making a over aggressive play on a ball that he probably should have just eaten, and that was, you know, sort of the, the spark to the, the Cubs rally there in the, uh, was it the eighth inning? Um, or the ninth inning. No, it was the it ninth. Was the ninth yeah, inning. it was the ninth inning. Oof. Um, that's the kind of thing that you expect from younger players to make those kinds of decisions. I think some of the other stuff that we've seen is less likely to be repeated and more that well, they're going to work out. We had the Aguilar thing that happened in the Sunday game. On Saturday game, we had the uh, Travis Shaw getting short hop basically. Right, and he, he misplayed that one. He talked after the game about the fact that that was a weird short hop that he should have charged and he didn't. And he, you know, said, "That's my screw up. I I know I and should charge that it ball." It was a huge screw up. <laughs> that really was so, bad. I mean, yeah, there was some ugly stuff like that. I mean, you're gonna have the Arcia stuff, um, and there there have been questions about that. Uh, James L on Twitter um, asked about Arcia. Like, what do you do with that? You know, how do you how do you get a player with with talent who can make exceptional plays how do you teach them like which plays to be aggressive with and which ones to just eat jp i mean what do you think that that's experience right i mean that's that's going through these sorts of of things and i know that people don't necessarily want to hear that but at some at some point you get experienced enough in game situations to recognize when the risk is worth it and for somebody like Arcia, who thinks that he can make all the plays, and in, and in my opinion, for a lot of good reasons, right now his mechanism to determine if the reward is worth the risk is is not very well defined. Just because he thinks that it's not a huge risk because he's made the play before, or he he knows that he has the physical attributes to make it. But it's the more he gets in that situation, if it happens again he might not be making that same choice because he's experienced what that choice means. Yeah, I know the one he had the overthrow on Saturday. 
I think it was, that went into the dugout. I think that was Arcia's. Yes, there that was been, the one. There have been so many that I can't it's hard just to keep, like, track. keep track of w- who made which dumb play. That one was, that wasn't a matter of a talented player trying to make a close play. Like, he really didn't have a chance at that. And he was trying to make a play when it just wasn't He needed to there. eat that ball, yeah. That one was clear he needed to eat it. That wasn't like, you're kind of close. Maybe if you're a fantastic athlete or you have a great arm or something like that, you can do it. But I think you saw today when he ranged out into, so on Sunday's game, he ranged out way deep out into left field and nearly made a spectacular running catch, really much more over where you'd expect a left fielder to be. He very nearly made that catch and just wasn't quite able to corral it as he was you know, falling to the ground and whatever, and it bounced out. But that's the kind of upside that he has he, because he's so athletic and so Well, but that's making good. a catch. I mean, you either make a catch or you don't. It, it, it's, it's the throws and when, when, when not to throw the ball is the kind of thing that he needs to kind of But But we used out. to have this conversation about Ryan Braun in the outfield all the time. Ryan Braun always used to overthrow the, the, the cutoff man, and he used to throw to home, home plate even though he never had a prayer of getting the runner, and it used to allow people to advance for second or third base. Are you saying and Ryan Braun's had defensive issues? I think that may be a controversial claim, but he's had a <laughs> learning process throughout his professional career. Uh, just but it, just it's hit, something Ryan, that, just hit. <laughs> it's something that he hasn't necessarily been doing as much as he gets older, right? As he has sure. experience in the outfield. Well, and I do so the same thing in softball. I can't make those throws anymore. I tell you, age catches up with everyone. I mean, you... because if I've learned anything from Twitter, it's that beer league softball is the same as major league baseball. Hey, that ball, Um, that ball is larger. So I think it's actually more difficult. I'm going to say what a bunch of, you know, 40 plus year olds do in a uh, local suburban Milwaukee uh, softball league is more difficult. No, I, I mean, somebody was joking with me on Twitter and saying that, you know, I've seen beer league softball players make some of these plays that the Brewers are struggling with. And I was like, well, first of all, no, you haven't. Um, but the, the second piece is that, well, the vast majority of beer league softball players only make the plays that are right in front of them and super easy because they don't have the athletic ability to actually make some of the more difficult plays. So they don't see them making more mistakes, which is, you know, the beauty of fielding percentage, by the way, some of them roll. You'll see, you'll see random. And I mean, they're built to roll. So you'll see that kind of athleticism out there. (laughs) Absolutely. But I think for somebody like Garcia, it's just, it's time. And it's also something it's, it's reps, but it's also one of the things in which a lot of teams actually really like to have older utility fielders on the roster because they like to have the older players that can tell Arcia, like, I've done this for 10 years. Like, that's not a play that makes any sense. At, at best, Aaron Perez or like Eric Sogard are like wow. his mentors right now. Part of the problem was... Perez was awful this What weekend. did Chris Subero play when he was a player? The first base coach. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I remember Chris Sabo played third base. <laughs> Thanks. I was wondering if maybe he was a guy that could that could give that screw. Oh, guys, Craig Council. Yeah, because that's what he's focusing on every day is... Well, no, but he could say something like that to RC. He, could, um, he has hey, free hey, moments. JP, what do you think? Has, has Craig Council ever had a discussion with any of his players about <laughs> defense? I, w- I would imagine that he has. It's come up 
once or twice. Occasionally. I mean, he can broach uh, the subject. <laughs> but Subero played both uh, second base, shortstop, and third base throughout his minor league career. There okay. you go. So, there so we anyways, go. Uh, Hernan Perez was the guy that struggled this weekend as well. So it he also it was looked... just across the board. Even the guys you expected to be strong defensive players were just having a rough time. And Domingo Aaron Santana Aaron made a couple bad throws. I mean, it just everybody was. Hernan Perez is not a phenomenal defender. Second but I so. expect him to just be in front of the ball and making decent decisions and getting the ball to where it needs to be. Yeah, like I, I don't expect him to cover a ton. Of, yeah, I don't expect him to cover a ton of ground. I don't yeah. expect his athleticism to do anything to make him but a I better mean, defender. But you, you just kind of expect like make the plays that are right at you, and he wasn't even right. doing that this weekend. Well, I mean, that's what Travis. I mean, Travis Shaw has made a career at third base defensively doing that, right? Like his range isn't huge, but he makes almost all the plays all the time. And like I'm, he made that incredible. You know, he speared one by jumping up and the one that was going to be heading down the line, I believe, on Saturday yeah. that he absolutely speared it. And he's a very, very good defender. But like, I don't know how much of it is. Players are pressing because they know that they've made some defensive errors and it's just one of those things that that start compounding whether or not this is just randomness in general that players will make defensive errors. And right now it's just randomly clumping together. Um, it's probably a combination of both. I What I don't think it is is a commentary on the athletic and defensive abilities of the team as a whole. Good call. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I still believe in this team defensively, ultimately. Yeah. Right. And there's a difference between making errors and being, like, bad and limited defensively. Like, the the you could say, like, the Aguilar thing I brought up before. Well, they were... That's a case where you, you it have was, a guy who's limited defensively making a... A, a mistake there it was surprising because guys who you would expect to make plays were not making plays this for this they were screwing things up stand yeah well but then again you saw like on what was it opening day it, all the games blend together at this point but Arcia made a fantastic defensive play. I'm not saying there weren't any fantastic plays made, but, uh, you know, Kane had a ball go off his glove yesterday or at the Saturday's wall. game yeah. at the wall. It was a tough catch, but he didn't come up with it, and it mattered. Um, Arcia had a rough game. I mean, the guy, Shaw, had one that ate him up and usually expects stuff coming right at him, at least to be gobbled up and turned into outs. So the guys you lean on, to be solid defensive players had a rough time, even if you also had, you know, like a VR or something like that, you know, kind of go a little haywire. I mean, what I, th I think this will be an answer that not a lot of people actually like, but I, I think what's going to end up helping the defense more generally is once they start hitting as a team, hmm. it's there, there's just so much, there's so much pressure on, on the, the defense right now and, and the pitching staff, because right now the team is not scoring runs that, that does carry over onto the, onto the field because you know that you can't afford to give up any more runs. So you're going to press, you might be a little bit tighter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just, it could be a giant fluke. We don't necessarily know, but I think that once the team starts hitting more generally, you'll start to see them loosen up a little bit. So we had two themes this week in our questions and I kind of did one and a half of the defensive questions. We have like four <laughs> or five of them. Uh, and they were all kind of in the same vein. So to, yeah. to ask them really isn't asking anything new. Um, the other thing uh, people were asking, and the, these were both um, Patreon questions. We had Brian Pulowski and Darren Jones. They were basically asking about sample size 
And at what point do we have a meaningful sample size for at-bats, what the guys are doing? And I think this also plays into defense, like what's the sample size that at what point can we look at what they're doing on the field and start saying, like, this is what the team is in 2018? Well, I think it varies all over the place. You're talking about different things. Certain statistics uh, stabilize very quickly. Strikeout rates and walk rates for you know both pitchers and hitters tend to stabilize a little bit quicker than things like what a guy's BABIP is. That can be fluky for a whole, a whole season at a time. So it sort of depends on what you're looking at and what you're trying to take from the what you're trying to take from a given stat. The answer is 500 at bats. <laughs> 500 at bats or 200 innings basically yeah uh, i mean so it it sort of depends on what you're looking at but at this point almost nothing is significant no there's almost yeah. almost nothing the main things and it's not a statistic is injury that's the the significant things to take away from this point of the season is Corey Knable's hurt and you're going to miss his production for at least six weeks and that sucks. And, you know, like that's something you can you can say definitively. Um, beyond that, it's pretty hard to to come up with much else. So what's your thoughts, JP? I think the vast majority of what I look at for the team, it's got to be about half the season before I'm going to start making any. It's It's pretty much what I said last year too so i'll try to stay consistent on it is everybody kept saying last year when they were producing well early in the year at what point do you actually say this team is better than we thought and i said i need it end of july basically until i was going to really start getting it and then of course by the time that i kind of hit that mark and was like all right let's talk about let's talk about the brewers and winning the nl central they like went on their terrible run and it like became a moot point um but there's just not that much that you can take from from anything like specifically about individual players, maybe. But by the time you actually start to get into July and August, individual players in terms of their abilities overall start to have much more significance. I mean, if you think about all the studies that have shown second half performance from the previous year does not actually prove to be statistically significant in terms of projecting the following year, the following year's performance. That's a, that's a half year. And so if you're talking about sample size and being significant, you're looking at a large sample. Now I do think it, it becomes much more interesting when you start to isolate very individual things. Uh, fastball velocity. For example, or carry. Sure, yeah, but you, you meant you mentioned that. Um, <laughs> way to step over everything. By the way, speaking of fastball velocity, uh, Chase Anderson was back up to his levels from last season today. So, oh, I didn't even look. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so everybody is, who was worried, really everybody who was worried, uh, you had two games where he was a little low, and you have one game where he's back to normal. So we'll say he's completely back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I think back when. You know, I was writing for like baseball perspectives and people would ask, um, like, what do you do for fantasy baseball when you have to make decisions before you actually have a statistic, uh, a statistically significant sample? Because by the time if you in fantasy baseball, if you're like, well, I'm going to wait to see how this works out for a half season before I jump in on this player, you'll never get you'll never get the player. You have to make decisions much more quickly. And so I think the best thing that you can do if you're if you're trying to look at 
the Brewers early this year or individual players, what you're doing is you're isolating trends to follow. You, I, I think making any conclusions is very dangerous. Um, obviously, that's not saying anything exciting about 10 games, but I think if you want to look at some some trends that are significant, I think that we talked about that with Chase Anderson's velocity. It wasn't saying that it was going to stay down, but the fact that it was down was something to track. I think if you look at which, the by the way, I should, uh, you know, I kind of looked that up after his first start on yeah. uh, Brooks baseball and his velocity increased early in the season. Like in 2017, when he came out throwing like 91, 92 this season, like that's basically what he started out at last season. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, his April, his April, he was not throwing as hard as he was later in the season. Yeah. I so, mean, that's, that's, that's good to know. I didn't know that. I, that's, and, and that was just a real quick poking around. I'm sure somebody else yeah. could probably go more in depth and, and, and do a better breakdown of it. But it, from what I looked up, it didn't seem like, um, the idea that he was just, you know, coming out and throwing 93 plus every game. That was not exactly how 2017 worked out. So, yeah. no, um, no. I, I do want to, I do want to say the other thing that I'd be, I'd be looking for as well is that, um, the team as a whole right now, if you're looking at the offense and you're trying to find those trends to, to actually continue to follow, uh, it's the biggest thing that's jumped out to me is that we've talked about how much adding Kane and Yelich was going function. They have the worst, they have the worst walk rate of any team in major league baseball. Um, and I'm not saying that that is going to be something that continues, but if you're trying to isolate something that's worrisome, and you're and you want to be able to trace it going forward to see if that actually stays the case or if it if it goes up or down. That's one of the biggest reasons why the Brewers, I think, have have struggled offensively is they haven't been getting on base and they haven't been hitting for power. Do you think that could be a when it's a team wide issue like that where the walk rate is low? Do you think that could be tied to maybe some general things they're trying to do that maybe aren't working? Or is that is it too, well, way I too mean, early to even say that? A, it's early. It's 10 games B, you know, I think when they've been down in games, you know, guys go up there and they get aggressive and they press. I mean, the idea that guys late in games when you're down, you know, are going to go up there and try to draw walks. You don't, especially in 10 games. Sure. It's not a huge sample size. And, you know, I, there was a second part to Darren Jones's question. He asked, uh, what are the most encouraging and most concerning performances of the first 10 games? So I, we were just talking about walk rate. I mean, JP, do you think that's something that's going to hold? I don't know, but I think it is something that is. The reason that I bring it up is that if, if you want to look at the defensive performance and suggest that it is a, a function of guys pressing too hard, being tight, and they're making poor defensive errors or they're making bad decisions because they're, they're either trying too hard, not comfortable, uh, pressing, whatever, you know, whatever verb you want to use. But I think that that ties into the, to the walk rate. And if you're trying to construct a narrative, even if it might be problematic, just based on, on, on numbers, those things track. And if you're talking about a team that's too tight, one thing I would expect is making mental errors. I would expect them to strike out a lot. I would expect them to not not walk very much. And those are 
those are things that we're seeing. Um, how predict how you know productive that's going to be or not productive but predictive. I don't think it's going to stick, but if if you're somebody that is trying to suggest what has happened in the last 10 games and not necessarily what's going to be happening in the future and you want to say in the last 10 games they've been pretty tight as a team, those are two statistics that you could actually look at and make a pretty compelling case for. Do either of you two have something you've seen in the first 10 games that's been encouraging that you're happy that seems like a difference from maybe 2017? It's hard to say. It's right now. really it is hard to say. Um, the bullpen's been lights. The out. bullpen. The bullpen generally has been very encouraging. I mean, I think you can look at like Oliver Drake seems to have, you know, found something you know reasonable over there. Um, and the bullpen depth in general, it seems like you have even a bunch Barnes, of guys that are going to be turned to. Even Barnes, who got saddled with the loss on Saturday against the Cubs, he pitched better again because of the defense. He pitched better than. He pitched fine. His main problem that he had on Saturday was that he didn't cover first base on that ball to Eric Thames. And also like that the, was really his only but also thing I'd really fault him on. And also the ball was just like hit at guys who decided they didn't want to like play that day, apparently. <laughs> well, that's a bit much, but well, I mean, it, it, it was pretty brutal for that inning. I mean, to say he didn't cover first base, I mean, you could probably go back and count the outs and say that play shouldn't have even happened. No, yes, that's fine. He Barnes pitched fine. It like that inning was really all on the defense and he played a part of that defense, but you know, whatever. Yeah, overall the bullpen has been very solid and seems to be doing well. You would like not to have to throw them as much as they have. Yeah. And that's concerning. And that's probably the, my biggest concern is just you're not getting innings out of your starters, which was a concern coming in, but it's been even more we're seeing it even more so right now. The, you know, the, when you get three starts that are six innings and everything else is below that, it leaves a lot for the bullpen to have to cover. Yeah, JP, I, you were worried about the the implosion of the starting rotation. That was something you were worried about coming into the season. Does yeah. this ten games? Does this make you worried? Is this kind of like a worst case scenario we're seeing right now? No, I think worst case scenario for me would have been uh, an injury to the to the starting rotation like Anderson would have ended up with a concussion when he planted his head into the ground <laughs> or at least a concussion that everybody recognized instead of him being like I don't know maybe I blacked out and everyone just went ha that's yeah. funny um <laughs> I blacked out hey Chase don't say that because that's really bad <laughs> right um no I I don't think I'm overly concerned about the starting rotation yet just because basically everybody's only had a chance to to pitch two and then Chase Anderson's pitched three games. So I'm, I'm not too concerned about it yet. Um, and Anderson, basically two of those three, he's looked good. Yeah, he's looked yeah he's looked fine for sure. Uh, I think the encouraging performances for me, uh, Christian Yelich looks like an absolute monster. Um, I'm, I'm all about that. Uh, Hader looks really good. Oh, and, God, he is just dominant. And so on, the, on those... I, I think Lorenzo Cain looks really good. So do we um, call that contract a win? The 10 days in, do we call Lorenzo Cain's contract a win? <laughs> absolutely. I think he's absolutely justified five years, 80 million in 10 days. There we go. I, I'm about that. Uh, but I think on the discouraging side or the, or the part that I'm very concerned about, I would isolate uh, a couple of different people. Um, Eric Sogard. 
I know that everybody got really excited about what he was able to do when he first got called up to the to the Brewers last year. He's not looking like he he's looking like he was the last like month, month and a half of the 2017 season. How which is means he doesn't offer much offensively, which we kind of already knew. Yeah. How but... long do they give Sogard before Sogard or Perez, I guess, before they just say we want to bring up Mauricio Dubon? I think it's going to be a function of Mauricio Dubon. If Dubon, I think it, if Dubon, I think Dubon shows that well. he's a guy, if he's if he's a dude in AAA, which I mean, he's got the park. He's to, got, yeah, he's got yeah. the potential to do that. I mean, are the, is it something where he needs to get into July, or would they make that move earlier? No, I could see him making it in May. I think he could get called up pretty quickly, um, but I'm I think. Aaron M. Perez is worrisome. Really, he's had nine plate appearances, so it's it's tough to to get too far into that. But I mean, would they just eat Sogard's money and just say thanks? Oh, but this isn't yes. working out. I mean, he's he's yes. probably more the guy that would lose a position than right, and Perez. especially when you have because a guy to we, replace him who costs nothing. Like yeah, he would, Dubon would come up and slip into his spot in the roster, and Dubon is you know. League minimum. League minimum. So you're you're talking about yeah, very little money. So that's not really an impediment to doing anything there. And even though and I was kind of on, it, I was on Perez this past week weekend. If you follow me on Twitter, and I don't I don't <laughs> like to call out guys too much publicly like that. Part of that was a function of you know all spring training. Hernan Perez had like great at bats and he was carrying the team in games for mm-hmm. wins. And it was kind of a matter of like, okay, let's all just take a step back and realize what this guy is. So it, it, it's more a reaction to that than I have a problem. Hernan Perez is going to be Hernan Perez. Okay. So let's not Absolutely. expect, let's and, not and expect what... a ton of offense. Let's not expect a fantastic defender, but he's a guy that they're going to be able to put anywhere. They kind of need him, And that's well, why he's going to have value. I think one of the big things about Aaron M. Perez is that everybody who is pro Aaron M. Perez will look at him and say, you know, he was in 2016 was like a one and a half win player ish. Right. Um, last year. I mean, he even was able to provide some value in terms of wins above replacement. So a lot of people will say that his defense makes him valuable and what they don't necessarily look at is what makes up his defensive statistics. The fact is that almost his entire value has come from the fact that he's an above average defender in left field. And that that's fine and that's useful, but let's not overstate what Aaron M. Perez is in terms of his overall value. It comes from versatility. Yes. But if you're looking at value, in wins added almost all of it comes from his ability in left field and right field and it doesn't come from second base which is where a lot of people would want to say he has value to this team because that's where the offensive question marks are he's not a great defender at second base no and we saw that this week i mean he's just does not have a lot of range over there and does not have very smooth hands so yeah um Okay, uh, we have Chad Ferris. He has another uh, Patreon question. Uh, when Braun does his walking steal and pretends to lose fly balls in the sun, are those considered veteran moves, or do people think he's a dick? I mean, I, this would be a better question for... Well, non-Brewers <laughs> fans are going to think he's a dick regardless. Right. 
No, but I mean, like... <laughs> because I think he spent the weekend getting booed in Miller Park because there's so many Cubs fans there. Well, yeah. And that's that's normal, though. That's been happening for years. Sure. Um, no, I know. And that that's not something that is unexpected. I don't know. The thing where he did the little shrug before catching the ball on Saturday, I was cackling at that. And if that had actually caught the Cubs player, I never would have stopped laughing. Like I said that on Twitter. That was... That was awesome. That would have made it really difficult to record a podcast. Um, <laughs> if <laughs> no, I think for myself, the way that I think about uh, Ryan Braun much in the same way I think about um, Bartolo Colon. Um, because <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> I, I often confuse those two. <laughs> Bartolo Colon is uh, somebody who's been suspended for PED usage um, and is one of the most beloved players in Major League Baseball because people have decided that they like people just like Bartolo Colon. They like his personality. They like the fact that he's fat and pitches. They like I was going to say, that he, we, we can all relate to fat guys. Well, it's just everybody everybody loves him. So, you know, he doesn't Where we don't all in. have t-shirt companies that we run. So, <laughs> And it's Ryan Braun no matter what happens, will get a negative response because people have decided they don't like Ryan Braun. And that's fine. You don't have to like Ryan Braun, but it's, I mean, there's a, there's an old saying for like Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was an old um, chief justice of the uh, Supreme Court, who basically said, basically lived by this idea that uh, people decide first and justify it later. And I think that's absolutely, I think that is absolutely true. And I it's think it's true are, and nothing I want to hear about on our Supreme Court. <laughs> but it, it's uh, well, it's just saying that how people make decisions. You don't have time to think in your head that all this logical construction before, you know, I decide something. It's you decide based on what feels right and then you justify it to yourself later. OK, here's a and, question. Here, here's an actual question, though. Is Ryan yeah. Braun a heady veteran at this time? Like when you watch Ryan Braun play, do you think like he's just a smart player and he's trying to take advantage of things on the field? Sometimes. Yeah, I, think, I don't know. I think sometimes he's over aggressive, uh, if I'm honest. But I think that he and sometimes that plays, but that sometimes plays to his advantage like he did in San Diego, where he basically guessed on that ball and because he, he thought there was a chance that was coming and he hammered the hell out of it. Oh, absolutely. But that's also he was in a a, a place in which he could afford to do that. Right. I mean, that was that was a cost like functionally. That was a pitch that he could he could center on and he could say, I'm looking for this pitch. If it's a breaking ball, I'm going to let it go. And if you can throw your breaking ball for a strike at this point, more power to you. If it's a high fastball, I'm on it. And anything else, I'm going to trust that you can't throw it for a strike. And that's the way that I read. It. Obviously, we don't know his thought process, but that was the way that I would have been looking at that uh expecting him to to walk through that the other option that somebody said is maybe there was somebody on base that actually like flagged that the the catcher stood up and let him know that it was going to be coming high but catchers wait are you saying they're stealing signs are you accusing cheatery are you calling shenanigans i am saying that there was somebody on twitter who suggested that ryan braun may have used some help from his teammates and that it was more does that make ryan does that make ryan braun a cheater or is he just cheater adjacent because someone helped him Look, I'm I am just suggesting that if you have decided in your mind that you don't like Brian Braun, that just feeds into your narrative that he's a cheater. Yeah, and there are a lot of people who have decided that. Plus, he got a good man fired. 
Oh, there was that thing, yeah. A good man who didn't know to refrigerate that urine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he just like, like you have one job. Just, just like kept it around. Like you have one job, weekend. just like refrigerate it. Like don't mix it up with your Chinese takeout order. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, final question uh, from Jay Google. Did Ryan get beat up by any Cubs fans this weekend? No, I did not. Nobody. How did you, how did you manage that? I mean, I only went to three games and I didn't go to the Saturday game. Because let's be honest, if I'd been there during the ninth inning on Saturday, <laughs> I might have said some things to get myself punched in the face. Um, Hell, but, I've wanted to do that to you sitting there next to you at games. Well, you want to do that all the time. But that's neither here nor there. No, there was none of there was no fisticuffs. And honestly, I didn't see. I went to three of the four games. As far as Cub fan behavior, I thought it was pretty clean this time through. I did not see any of the normal stuff that I usually see. Are you saying they're not in midseason form? They're not in midseason form. And like, they're like, we did have some beer spilled from behind us by Cubs fans onto like they they kicked over a full beer and it spilled down into our foot area. Well, at least it it had to be. never happened from Brewers fans. (laughs) Well, Brewers fans have But I judge Cub fans much more harshly for that. If it was a Cubs fan, at least least it was cheap and it was a light beer. No, I'm pretty sure I didn't didn't turn around and ask, but I could kind of smell it and it smelled hoppy. So I was going to say, I did not think I was smelling. It did not smell like urine. So I'm assuming it was not like some light domestic could you tell from the bouquet which beer it was i could not but it smelled hoppy i'm not i'm not well you think everything you think everything's hoppy do you think they got it from the booth behind you or did they go down to the local craft booth to to get a beer uh yeah i I don't know i'm trying to see how good ryan is at this well i should say though that ryan's brother is a cubs fan he is so there's a shame of the family there's a failing by you there right who was there he and went so with the game only, on Thursday and Friday. He went to the games, yeah. So that is not only a moral failing on your part that you somehow allowed this to happen, but uh, he's also protection from those Cubs fans that you have a Cub fan with you that vouches for you. I so mean, I, but he doesn't like necessarily... wear the gear or even like cheer the Cubs. He doesn't don't, like. Don't, don't defend him. He doesn't like get up and like do that stuff. He just sits there and like makes sarcastic comments and takes photos of me where I'm looking at my phone to to see if a call was correct or not. See, so it's just yeah. it's just oh, like when we it. go to a game together. Yeah, I mean, I was well, say, this, is is, why, this is why we like him, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's he is he has learned. Yeah, he has learned how to uh, how to interact from from you, and you're terrible. <laughs> so, Steve, not JP. Okay, I am. I am also. I mean, you're, you're, I mean you're, you're, you're terrible, bit, but, but there you're terrible, but there's some distance to it. So I guess we just kind of do it. So um, <laughs> there, there are states in between, and therefore I do not live in the black. I, I do not live in the. I'm not blacked out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we have the Cardinals coming up. Uh, any hopes and dreams for that series, or are we just going to have heartbreak for another? Is it three games? Well, maybe MLB will get off its ass and will suspend Yachty, but I doubt it. Oh, I don't want to even get into that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, you were complaining about that. Well, I don't know. Are you were complaining about my complaints. How, ma- how many games are they even going to play this week? Because I think they're still supposed to have some pretty uh, garbage weather in St. Louis. Oh, that's fantastic. I The best thing in the world is double headers at Bush Stadium. Well, um, love that. It'll crap. be double headers in July. Right. It'll be August. double headers in, in, yeah. In, yeah. That's in, fine. It'd just be like 100 and humid then. <laughs> It's not a big deal. Everybody's sweating Bud Light out there. <laughs> I think we can we can tell the story now. 
you can you can talk about that. Was there a was there an no? Embargo? I'm gonna put you on the was spot. Was there an embargo you know, you at the, this on this you have story? The story? What story? The story I'm about Prince Fielder at the doubleheader with the Cardinals in 2007. What? What story do I have? Oh 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 oh. Okay, so you did a photo or you did a shoot with Ned Yost, and you heard him talking about the fact that Fielder absolutely destroyed the locker room at Bush Stadium and did like tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage to it. Probably. Okay. Yes. This and, was years ago. Well, so what was, I remember, hold on, hold on. Hold on. What I remember from the shoot you're referencing is Ned just got a first generation iPhone at that time. And he was very excited about it. Ned is a techie. Yeah. No. And Ned also really likes uh, um, uh, prestige TV. Do you see that? He's it's a big weird. no. He like he's big into like Netflix and prestige TV. Even though he's dragging a dead turkey behind him most of the time <laughs> and wearing uh, camo, yeah, he he has some weird. No, no, no. You, you seriously, you told me this story, and I for years have kept it like not said anything about it because you was like, oh, we can't really talk. Dude, about Dude, seriously, this, but... this would have been like two thousand seven. Yeah, no, no. But also, so Fielder like who is, wrecked the clubhouse. Here, I okay. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You keep <laughs> telling me that like there's a moratorium on this that is now was, seized. No. It's, <laughs> Well, so so it was. There was a doubleheader against the Cardinals in 2007. I'm pretty sure where they the Brewers were up like six nothing and then blew the lead and then got crushed in the second game. And it was like part of the beginning of the tailspin. And Fielder, after the getting swept in the doubleheader, went back into the clubhouse and like did a number on like major property damage in the locker room. I don't doubt that I told you this at the time. It did not make as much of an impact on my life as it apparently has. Well, on I remember things. And that's <laughs> like, that's a great story that like you heard the manager talking about the fact that Prince Fielder like went ballistic and destroyed the clubhouse in St. Louis to the point where they had to like pay a bunch of money to fix it. I'd like to point out that this is uh, this is speculation on our part, nor are we making any accusations <laughs> about what has happened. We are considering that we have maybe heard some stories considering of things that may have happened. Considering the respect, get out considering anyway. the respect all players show all opposing uh, clubhouses at all times, I'm sure. Yeah. So. Anyways, on that note, on that flimsy story Ryan decided to end everything on, uh, we're going to wrap up the show this week. So, JP, you want to give a uh, shout out to some of our Patreon supporters here? Absolutely. We've got Jason Spitz, Aaron Savage, Scott Moling. Uh, thanks thanks to everybody for, for participating both in the Patreon. Uh, I, I don't know. Is it a program? But on Patreon more generally. Thank you for for the support. Thank you for the individuals who give it the ball and glove logo level so we can actually have an excuse to get together and talk uh, minor league ball, which which is good. Um, and I will say that Aaron Savage is uh, is my my childhood next door neighbor. Oh, really? So and so he and I he and I grew up playing playing Little League together. So. I didn't know that. I put together the list. This was a surprise to JP. And yeah. I think I think uh, Jason Spitz is our one like a bigger donor he's he's our he, yeah he's our 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 big favorite kahuna. favorite donor <laughs> so um anyways you can join our patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mke tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the minor league extra podcast and that just came out this past week and we've done three or four of them. three three of them and okay. if you subscribe you can go back and listen to the old ones i believe right that's i think so yeah i don't know okay. 
subscribe and you can find out. If you so, can't, let us know. Been, if that's a problem that you can't get it, let us know and we will make sure you get a copy let of the us, podcast. See, he says let us know and you know this is all going to fall on me. So, yeah, just keep promising things to everybody. Shoot it so, in an email. I, I, I will, I I will say that up. people who have subscribed after the fact have said they could go back and listen. Oh, good. So there you go. You Steve, just have, you won't have to do anything. You just have hours and hours to catch up on the longer you wait. Yes, the deeper it goes, the yeah, the more you'll have to catch up on. The rounder it goes, the... I don't know. <laughs> As always, follow us on Twitter at MKETailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast if you want Mark Zuckerberg to know everything you like and can aim ads at you. And, yeah. And, and also the Russians. Yeah, and I think the British are involved in there somehow. Cambridge Analytica? Something yeah. like that. So we do have a Facebook page. You can do it if you want. I don't think any of us really pay too much attention to it. But we will see questions if you submit questions there. So uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. <laughs>